Thank you, Rob. If you would take your Bibles, please, and turn to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. First chapter. Jeremiah chapter 1. Let me ask you this question. What would a person's body feel like after years of multiple beatings, after being thrown in a muddy pit and spending days in that pit without food or water, sitting in stocks day after day after day, being imprisoned multiple times in a dungeon, what would a person's body feel like after years of that? Well, uh, just grab anybody that played two or three games yesterday and we will tell you uh, what the body would feel like. Uh, no, really, what I've just described is what the prophet Jeremiah went through during his ministry, probably more than 40 years of ministry. And uh, those are the kinds of things that he experienced as he faithfully uh, carried out that ministry. And so as we continue our study this summer on uh, the Prophets Club, looking at a different Old Testament prophet every week, we've come to Jeremiah. <clears throat> very, <clears throat> very interesting man and uh, prophet of God. We've talked about Samuel. We've talked about Nathan, uh, Elijah. Micaiah, uh, we talked about Elisha last week, and today we're going to look at uh, Jeremiah. So let's pray first, and then we'll, we'll do that. Our Father, guide us as we uh, look at this man who served you faithfully, and yet, Father, he was just a man with the same perspective and feelings and emotions as we have. And, Father, uh, it wasn't easy. And yet he obeyed you. And, Father, that's what we want, even in our lives. Uh, we've been singing about you and what Jesus did for us. And that's what we want. We want to be faithful to you and to serve you, even when it's difficult. And I would ask that Jeremiah could maybe be an example for us today. Guide us in our, in our study of his ministry and his life. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah chapter 1. Uh, the book of Jeremiah has 52 or so chapters, so we're obviously not going to look at the whole thing. Very, very small part. Uh, also, the next book, Lamentations, is like only five chapters, but that's uh, probably written by Jeremiah as well. So we'll look at a little bit of that as well. But for now, just to introduce this prophet, uh, verse 1 of Jeremiah, chapter 1. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month 
of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. Now, that's probably wordy for you. It's probably uninteresting. But what it does is it, it sets Jeremiah into history for us. It, it places him in a certain time in history. And uh, it goes by different kings that reigned over Judah to help us set him in history. Um, Jeremiah started his ministry about halfway through Josiah's reign. Josiah was a very godly king. And then he ministered through the next four kings' reigns, and they were all evil. So Jeremiah got to experience half of a good king's reign, and then the rest of his ministry was when four evil kings were reigning over Judah. And his ministry then included observing and watching as Jerusalem was destroyed and conquered by the Babylonians and captives were taken back to Babylonia uh, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It seems that Jeremiah stayed back in Jerusalem after that. Uh, But that's what the first verses are telling us, that he served from Josiah through four more kings, through the fall of Jerusalem, and a little while after that. So that's where we place him in history. He's also called the weeping prophet. Uh, He seems to have been a very emotional man. And uh, he uh, did a lot of weeping over various things, weeping over the direction his people were going that, you know, led him to have to do the ministry he did, confronting them. Uh, He wept over his people and what was going on. He wept over Jerusalem when, when he saw Jerusalem, that great city, being conquered and falling. He wept over the fact that so many of his people were taken off into captivity. Um, uh, he did a lot of weeping, and so he's called the weeping prophet. He was from a town just a little ways northeast of uh, Jerusalem. Uh, he was the son of a priest, so he was a PK. He was a priest kid. Um, That would have been his background. And when we come to chapter 1, now that he's set in history for us, uh, we see his call. We see how he becomes appointed to his ministry as part of the prophet's club, as a prophet of God, to be God's megaphone uh, with his message. So let's let's look at his call, starting in verse 4. He says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Sounds like Psalm 139, doesn't it? Um, Jeremiah, just like you and I, were formed by God in the womb. And just like us, Jeremiah was known by God before he even formed us in the womb. So he reminds Jeremiah of that. And he says, before you were born, I set you apart. I had plans for you before you were even born. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So that's the first thing that Jeremiah hears from the Lord as he's going to be called to be a prophet. 
Jeremiah, I formed you in the womb, but I knew you before then. And even before you were formed in the womb, even before you came on the scene, I had already set you apart and I had appointed you to be my prophet, to bring my message to my people. And as so many of these prophets did, there's a reluctance on the part of Jeremiah when he hears this. Verse 6, Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. Now, he probably was a young adult, but he uses the term child. I'm just, I'm so young. I'm so young. I don't, I don't know how to speak. I can't do this. Sound familiar? Sound like Moses and, and a few others? But the Lord said to me, verse 7, Do not say, I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth. And he said to me, Now I put my words in your mouth. See, today I point you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So it's like God is saying to Jeremiah, I'm appointing you to give my message. You will be my megaphone to my people. And some of your messages are going to be hard. They're going to destroy. They're going to tear down. They're going to be messages of coming judgment. But I'm also going to give you words to say to your people that will be upbuilding. And they will be about restoration and about hope. But I'm going to give you the words to speak to my people. And isn't that common uh, when you read through Scripture and God calling people? Um, There's a common promise from God in all of those calls. One is, I will give you the words, right? I will give you the words to say when you need them. Another common thing he says to people when he calls them is, I will be with you. Right? That's common. The promise of his presence. I'll be there. I'll give you the words. I'll be there with you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Um, some of you have already counseled at camp. Some of you have yet to counsel. Uh, I think this is a promise for you. You know, uh, you might be a little fearful or you remember before you went to camp, you were a little fearful. And yet, I think God's promise to you is the same. I'll give you the words when you need them. I'll be with you. I'll be there. Don't be afraid. Some of you young people have already done some ministry with child evangelism. And you've gotten to share the gospel with um, children. I think God's promise to you, as you felt this call and this prompting to do that ministry, and were kind of fearful, His promise was, I'll give you the words. I'll give you the words when the time comes to share the gospel with those kids. I'll be with you. Whether it's in Hibbing or Duluth or wherever it is, I'll be with you. Don't be afraid. And those of you who are among the 12 going to Panama, I think the promise is the same. 
as to Jeremiah. When you go to Panama in about 10 days, God will give you the words when they're needed. He will be there. He's in Panama too. He will be with you. Don't be afraid. And so Jeremiah got this common set of promises from God that he gives to everyone he calls. Even though Jeremiah was reluctant, those are the promises God made. And so uh, if you jump to verse 17, God says to Jeremiah, Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I'll terrify you before them. Today I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. And here it is again, for I am with you. I will rescue you, declares the Lord. So that was um, Jeremiah's appointment to ministry as a prophet, his call. You can sum up 52 chapters of Jeremiah's ministry by saying there were two primary messages that Jeremiah gave through all his years of ministry. Two primary messages. Uh, One had to do with bad news. One had to do with good news. The bad news is throughout his ministry, Jeremiah was prophesying judgment. Take a look at chapter 2. It kind of summarizes what was happening among God's people that even called for Jeremiah to give this uh, message of judgment. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 2. He says to Jeremiah, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Here's the message. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruit of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, all you clans of the house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your fathers find in me, that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, Where is the Lord? who brought us up from Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness. Verse 8, the priest did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord. Verse 13, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns. They've gone a different direction. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Verse 19, your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me. Isn't that interesting? How bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord and have no awe of me. And so that is a primary message that throughout this book, as it's recorded, Jeremiah will be giving to his people. He's going to just keep repeating it. You've forsaken God. You've turned to other 
false gods. You've, you've moved into living wicked lives. And it goes right down the line. The priests, the so-called prophets, the, the leaders, the people. And his message is because you've forsaken God over and over again, judgment is coming. And when we go to chapter 25, <clears throat> he tells us what this judgment will be. <clears throat> chapter 25, starting in verse 8. <clears throat> Here's how the judgment will take place. This is what uh, Jeremiah is shouting out through his megaphone. Not a real megaphone, but... Speaking the word of God. This was the message. Verse 8, chapter 25. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this. Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them, make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. That's the judgment. And Jeremiah had to go around telling the people of Israel, because they'd forsaken God and gone to worship other false gods, that God was going to bring Nebuchadnezzar and his armies from Babylon, and they were going to conquer Jerusalem. And they were going to take captives for 70 years. And we kind of know that story, right? Book of Daniel. Um, <clears throat> but this is Jeremiah ahead of time, before it happens. For over 40 years, repeating this bad news over and over again. Destruction is coming. Destruction is coming because of what you've done, forsaking God. And it's coming at the hands of Babylon. And they are going to destroy Jerusalem and take captives. How would you like to hear that message over and over and over again from the same guy? That was a primary message that Jeremiah was to give to his people, a message of judgment. But also in there, there was a message that was good news. He also brought a message of uh, restoration and hope. <clears throat> because um, as you read through the book, he also said to the people, after those 70 years, God will bring you back. He'll bring you back to Jerusalem. And then he will destroy Babylon. He will judge Babylon for what they did to you. So that was good news. But they were the two primary messages as you read through the book of Jeremiah, that he kept giving <clears throat> to the people. Bad news, destruction is coming. Babylon's going to wipe out Jerusalem, take captives. It's your judgment for forsaking God. Good news, the captivity will last 70 years. God will bring you back, and he will judge Babylon. Guess which of the two primary messages the people responded to the most as most people do, the bad news, right? They responded to Jeremiah's messages of destruction and judgment. And as a result, throughout his ministry, Jeremiah was mistreated. 
it was a difficult ministry because the people of Judah did not like to hear about judgment. They did not want to hear about their wonderful city, Jerusalem, being taken. They did not want to hear about Babylon taking captives. And so they mistreated Jeremiah. The messages through that whole time were from God. They were God's message. But the people mistreated the messenger. When you can't get a God, you get to the messenger, right? And so that's how they reacted. And Jeremiah was mistreated through his whole ministry. And as you read in the book of Jeremiah, you read things like I mentioned earlier. Uh, He was mocked over and over again by the people. Mocked, scoffed. Terrible things said to him wherever he went. He was cursed. He was arrested multiple times, put in prison. He was beaten many times. He spent a long time in dungeons. He was thrown into muddy pit. No food, no water for a long period of time. He was put in stocks for a period of time. He was threatened with death over and over again. That was his ministry. Just totally mistreated as he presented his messages uh, to the people. Chapter 20, just to give you an idea of how Jeremiah described this mistreatment. Chapter 20, verse 7. It's getting hard for Jeremiah, and so he's very honest with God. He says in chapter 20, verse 7, O Lord, you deceived me. I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. And then notice he says, But if I say I will not mention him or speak any more of his name, His word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. It's terrible, God, what I'm going through because I'm speaking your message of judgment, but I can't stop. If I try to stop presenting your message you gave me, it it eats away at me. I have to speak it, as terrible as it is for me. Verse 10, I hear many whispering. Terror on every side. Report him. Let's report him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying perhaps he will be deceived and we'll prevail over him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior, so my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. It was hard for Jeremiah. He was mistreated simply because he gave the message that God wanted him to give. And even though he included a message of restoration eventually and the judgment of Babylon eventually, all his people heard and focused on was the bad news, the judgment. And they kept mistreating him for giving that message. And so he experienced, because he was obedient, misery, personal misery for over 40 years. And that brings us to the book of Lamentations. 
Boy, did we get through 52 chapters of Jeremiah fast. Lamentations, the next book. Short little book, five chapters. Notice how it starts. It kind of gives us a, a clue as to what's going on here and when this book was written. Lamentations 1.1. It says, How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Verse 3. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. What does that sound like? What Jeremiah said would happen has happened. Babylon has conquered Jerusalem. Jerusalem is just sitting there a waste. It's been destroyed. And many of her finest have been taken into captivity to Babylon. And for some reason, Jeremiah seems to have stayed in Jerusalem. And uh, in Jeremiah 29, he actually sends a letter to the captives in Babylon. And, and he tells them um, that after 70 years, you know, you get to come back. He reminds them of the good news. But he says, in the meantime, I want you to make a difference in Babylon. Make a difference. Um, because he says God has a plan. God has a future and a hope for you. But it will be 70 years down the road. So while you're there, make a difference in Babylon. And that's where that verse comes from, by the way, that is so popular and sometimes taken out of context. Um, you know, I have a plan for you, a future, and a hope. That was being said to people who were in captivity in Babylon. And the 70 years had just started, and Jeremiah was saying, don't fight this. Settle down. Make a difference these years in this foreign land. Because God has a plan. There is a future for you. There is a hope. So don't sit around for 70 years and complain. Make a difference where you are. And God's plan and his future for you will come about. And that's where that verse came from. But in Lamentations, if you go to chapter 3, I mean, it's a good name for a book of the Bible with the content. It's, he's lamenting. He's lamenting. He's mourning what's happened. Even though Jeremiah knew it was going to happen, even though Jeremiah for years was telling the people this is going to happen, when it happened, he just grieves. He just mourns over what's happened to his city, Jerusalem, and his people. And so that's what Lamentations is about. It's his mourning. And when he's mourning what's happening, I can just picture him wherever it is, sitting somewhere in this desolate Jerusalem, nowhere near what it ever had been before. Probably a lot of his friends, gone. They either died in the, the assault of the city or they've been taken captive. And Jeremiah... It's probably an older guy now. He's just sitting there and he's mourning over what's happened. And when he's doing that, he does what a lot of us do. He starts remembering how tough it was for him. And so you come to chapter 3, verse 1. 
And let me just point out some words and phrases he uses as he begins to remember how tough his ministry had been up to this point. Verse 1, he says, I'm the man who has seen affliction by the rod of God's wrath. Verse 3, indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. Now, right away, if we could talk to Jeremiah at this point sitting there, we'd say, that's not true, Jeremiah. That's not true. Remember the promise? I'll give you the words. I'll be with you. I'll rescue you. Don't be afraid. But now he's sitting there mourning what's happened to Jerusalem. And he says, God has turned his hand against me again and again. Uh, Verse 4, he's made my skin and my flesh grow old. Verse 5, he surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. 6, he made me dwell in darkness. 7, he has walled me in. He's weighed me down. Verse 8, he even shuts out my prayer. Verse 9, he made my paths crooked. You notice it's all he made, he made, he did this. As he's remembering this personal misery he went through in his ministry. Verse 11, he left me without help. Verse 12, he made me the target of his arrows. You ever felt that way? I remember Naomi in the book of Ruth said something similar. I feel like I'm God's target. Everything goes wrong. It's like I have a target on my back. And that's what Jeremiah is saying. He made me the target for his arrows. Verse 13, he pierced my heart. 14, I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. They make up songs mocking me. Verse 17, I've been deprived of peace. I forgot what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. His his hope gauge was on empty. It's gone, he said. What hope I ever had as I sit here in destroyed Jerusalem, it's gone. Where's your hope gauge? Right now. Jeremiah came to the place where he said, It's on empty. (laughs) I don't have any hope. And so he says in verse 19, I remember my affliction. I think that's why his hope gauge is on empty. I remember my affliction, my wandering, the bitterness, the gall. And I will remember them. I will remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. Can you picture that? Here's this prophet who for 40-some years boldly, Gave out God's message. But now, as what he said has come true, he's looking back and he's remembering all the misery he went through. And he's saying, God did this to me. God deceived me. He put me through all this. And for what? For what? He forgot about chapter 1. He forgot about the promises that God gave him at the beginning. And basically, he's saying, this is how I feel. We know it's not fact, but that's how he felt. You ever spend time remembering? Ever spend time thinking about the misery that you either have or are going through? And you feel this way and this way and this way? 
Has everybody, has anybody ever come to you and said, hey, that's not true? What you're saying about God isn't true. God didn't do that. You ever experienced that? It, it's really common. I mean, Jeremiah's a man, just like us. You, you experience enough misery, enough hardship, and you start feeling things that aren't true. You start feeling things, even about God, that aren't true. At another time, you wouldn't believe those things, but that's where your feelings are now. And his hope gauge was on empty. And then you come to verse 21. And he says, yet, or but, this I call to mind. Remember, he's been sitting remembering all the misery. And at some point, he says, but then I started calling to mind something else. What does it mean to call something to mind? It means to bring it into your mind. It means to choose to start thinking about it. And he's going to choose now to think about something totally different than his ministry and all the misery that went along with it. And he says, yet this I call to mind, verse 21, and therefore, because I'm calling it to mind, I'm choosing to bring this now to my mind, I have hope. All of a sudden, the hope gauge going up again because he decided to start thinking about something else and he experiences what I would call healing mindfulness he chose to call to mind things that were true and it brought the hope back it healed him what did he call to mind what did he start thinking about instead of his misery verse 22 Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. He started thinking about God's great love and the fact that he was still breathing and the fact that he knows after 70 years there's hope. God's people haven't been totally consumed. He starts thinking the truth about God and God's promise. He says, For his compassions never fail. He starts thinking about the compassions of God and how unfailing they are. Verse 23, these compassions are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He starts thinking about the great faithfulness of God. He says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. He's all I need. Therefore, I will wait for him. I will wait. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. What a change. What a change in perspective. And what changed he started calling to mind something different. He was sitting there remembering his misery. And it caused him to start thinking things that weren't even true of God. 
But at some point, and we don't know what clicked, but at some point he says, but then I started calling to mind another set of thoughts. And it's the truth about God, his love, his compassion, his goodness, his faithfulness. And he says, because of that, I will wait, I will seek him, and I will hope. What a change. What a change. Healing mindfulness. Choosing to fill your mind with something other than your misery. Choosing to fill your mind with truth about God. And it totally changed him. And then we don't know what happened after that to Jeremiah. That's kind of the end of, of his ministry. But it ended in a good way. with him having the right thoughts, the, the accurate thoughts about God, and it raised his hope again. So that is Jeremiah. Very, very brief look at Jeremiah. If it piques your interest, read the book. It'll take you a while, so start early this week. Uh, but read through Jeremiah. Read through Lamentations. And uh, you'll kind of see the details around these little snapshots that I gave you of Jeremiah and his uh, ministry. Great prophet. Great prophet. Certainly human. (laughs) Certainly human. Certainly somebody we can relate to. And that's kind of where I want to conclude today. Our ability to relate to Jeremiah. Uh, Got a couple questions at the bottom of your sheet. The first statement says we too can move from personal misery to healing mindfulness. We can have that same experience that Jeremiah had. I mean, you can have experienced a lot of personal misery, whatever form that takes, or you could be going through a lot of misery right now in your life, whatever form that takes. And you can choose to hang out there. I mean, you can choose to just continue to remember and fill your mind with all the misery. But let me warn you, it's going to eventually lead you to false thinking and even thinking about God that you never thought you would think, you know, because you've chosen to focus on the misery and the difficulty. Or you can choose like Jeremiah to eventually move to mindfulness and start calling to mind the truth about God. That hasn't changed, despite what you're going through. And that will allow you to have hope. That will motivate you to wait on God, to trust in His faithfulness, His promises, His love, His compassion. All those things are true of you. You can make the choice, you know. And the question is, it's the same question that Jesus asked uh, a guy who hadn't walked for 38 years, you know, he, he was lame. He was at the pool of Shalom. You remember that? And what was the first question Jesus asked the guy? Do you want to get well? What a question to ask a guy who hasn't been able to walk for 38 years. But it's a good question. And it's a good question for people who have been experiencing a lot of misery of different kinds. Do you really want to get well? 
Because this is the unfortunate thing. We can get so used to our misery that in some weird way our misery becomes our friend and a companion we don't want to get rid of. Isn't that weird? But we do that. We get so used to the misery that we're going through that the idea of giving it up and living in a way that isn't controlled by and consumed with the misery doesn't even feel like a good thing. It doesn't feel like a comfortable thing. And so we choose to stay in our misery. That's all we think about. Do you want to get well? Do you want to move on from the misery controlling to being healed by mindfulness of the truth of God? Do you want to get well? That's an important question. You can't live in misery all your life. You can't, you can't live out your life focusing on that. It's not what God wants. Do you want to get well? How does that happen? Just like Jeremiah. At some point you have to decide, I'm going to start calling to mind the truth. I'm going to stop calling to mind my misery, and that's all I think about, and I'm going to start calling to mind the truth about my God. His faithfulness, His compassion, His, his love, His promises, His presence, His grace. I mean, just you name it. I am going to start calling to mind the truth. And guess what that does? That old hope gauge starts rising again. And that's where we want to be. That's where God wants us to be, I really believe. But it's up to us. It's up to us. Are we willing to move from focus on our misery to a focus on the truth about God? That doesn't mean your misery will go away and what's going on in your life, but your whole perspective, your whole way of thinking will change and what a difference it will make what a difference it will make so as we close um, I'm going to pray and uh, if you can relate to Jeremiah this morning I'm sure there are people here who can Uh, you've you've been going through something you are going through something but you would call it misery you know whatever it is you would call it misery it's been terrible and it seems like it's consuming you and it's the only thing you think about. And, and uh, if you haven't already, watch out. You'll start thinking false things about God. You'll bring God into the picture of your misery and you'll start thinking false things about Him. But maybe you can relate to Jeremiah and you want to make the choice Jeremiah made. I'm going to start calling to mind something else. I'm going to start filling my mind with truth about God that hasn't changed just because I'm going through this. He's the same, and great is His faithfulness, and His mercies are new every morning, and His love is great, and His compassions never fail me, and His promises are always there, and His presence never leaves me. I'm going to start calling to mind those truths and let that control me and consume me as I walk through this ministry. If that's the choice you want, I'd like to pray for you that you would be able to Uh, Be strengthened by God's Spirit to make that choice, to start calling to mind this different set of thoughts, truths about God. And you will notice the difference. You will.
Don't get used to the misery. Don't allow the misery to become your companion that you don't want to give up. That's a dangerous choice. Call to mind the truth and let God work because you have brought those thoughts to your mind. So I'm going to ask you to just do a a brave thing, but it's not a brave thing because we all love you and and, uh, uh, we want to support you. We want to pray for you. If if this is a, a choice you want to make to move from that focus on the misery to focus on the truth about your God, I'm going to ask you, If you would be willing, if you can relate to this and and you need this prayer to help you do this, I want you to just stand where you are. You know, don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. We all experience our sets of misery at different times. But uh, this is so that we can support you. This is so that we can pray for you. This is so that we can encourage you. Can't do those things if we don't know that, that you're really wanting to move from focusing on the ministry to the truth about God. So if you could do that, just wherever you are, if, if, if you would like to be part of that prayer, just stand, and uh, I'm going to pray for you. Okay, I don't know what the misery is. I don't know what that is necessarily, but God does. And uh, I'm going to pray that he'll honor your choice now to be mindful of another set of thoughts instead of letting the misery consume you and damage you. Okay, one more thing. If somebody's standing needing prayer near you, would you go stand by them as your support and your love for them as we uh, pray? Father, we come to you as a church family, a community of your people, your children. And Father, thank you for these brothers and sisters who are acknowledging to us that um, there are really hard things going on in their lives that uh, could be called misery, just really difficult, uh, and that these things have started to consume them and uh, maybe even already leading to things that aren't true about you. And Father, thank you that they are willing, like Jeremiah, to make the choice to call to mind a different set of thoughts, truth about you, their God. And so, Father, we lift them up to you today. We ask you, by your faithfulness and your love and your compassion and your presence and your promises to them of strength and grace, that you would provide all that they need to make that change in their thinking, to start calling to mind the truth about the God they serve, the God who has saved them, the God who loves them. Help them, Lord, to make that choice And to make that choice every day to call to mind the truth about their God. And even if the misery continues for a while, Lord, just get that hope gauge moving in the right direction. Help them to wait on you, to hope in you, to seek you, to depend on you and your promises. Help them to feel, to sense at just the right times your presence. Be their faithful God, Father. Show them your goodness in the midst of all that's going on. And help us, Lord, to pray for them, to support them, to be their brothers and sisters who encourage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.